Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of Amos, chapter 8, verse 4 through 7, Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, the gospel according to Luke, chapter 16, verse 1 through 13, and Psalm 113. Open our minds, warm our hearts, but also bend our wills, for we seek to hear your word. Amen. Some of you may remember the late 1990s, when the Disney Corporation had their greatest streak of blockbuster films in the history of the company. These major motion pictures put Mickey Mouse to shame with never-before-seen special effects, newly beloved characters reimagined from Greek myths, and accompanying merchandise of every kind sold in stores across the country. In fact, The demand for princess dresses and good guy swords soared so high that the company opened its own stores in California and New York and everywhere in between. The Disney store, where the dreams that you dream really do come true. As a child of the 90s, I soaked that stuff up, along with my peers. I had a Pocahontas bow and arrow, a Jasmine Sari, and the Jungle Book soundtrack on cassette tape that I played over and over and over again. There was a lot of cultural appropriation happening and hetero cisgender roles were unapologetically solidified in our minds. Everyone was left wanting tigers for pets, and we combed our hair with forks, and we all longed for trips to the French countryside where you could just sing and read books all day. If any of you figures out how to get woodland creatures to clean your house, let me know. I'm signing up for that. One of the films, though, actually turned out to be a lot like our gospel lesson for today. Spoiler alert. It wasn't the one where the woman loses her voice and needs to kiss a prince to get it back. (laughs) The story I'm thinking of is the story of a shrewd little fox who befriends the poor, the orphans, and the widows while their coins are collected for taxes as they search for food and safety and security. This foxy protagonist of the film, who I had a crush on as a kid, 
hands, hangs out with misfits and crippled old men, rambunctious kids, and friars like Francis. He sleeps in the trees of the forest, owns only one outfit, as far as I can tell, and he's always on the move. Any guesses to which Disney hero I'm thinking of? Yes, Robin Hood. Many of you remember the famous tagline of this infamous hero. He stole from the rich to give to the poor. Or maybe, just possibly, was he a shrewd manager who gave back to the people what was rightfully their own? Our gospel lesson for today from Luke is another parable in a long list of wise fairy tales from Jesus about money and our relationship to it. We had the prodigal son who squanders his inheritance and is then welcomed back home. We have a widow who searches for a precious lost coin, and another widow who gives away the last shekel she has. And what about that woman with the alabaster jar, who smothers costly perfume all over her savior, wasting hundreds of denarii? And now, this dishonest manager, this guy who cooks the books for social capital, who let these Marxists into the Bible? <laughs> the message of Luke is clear, though. You cannot serve God and wealth. Thank God for that defining line, because this passage is downright confusing without it. Mark Sessler and I read it three times from two different translations, and we still came out going, what the heck, Jesus? Didn't we, Mark? <laughs> the rich man is praising the manager for stealing from him. Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth? What? We're left thinking, who owes who? And is this guy getting fired or promoted? And what's up with the children of light? Standing alone, this parable is more than perplexing. It flip-flops back and forth, and I had to read several commentaries to try to get to the root of something valuable that I could share with you guys today. These commentaries began as such. None of the parables of Jesus have baffled interpreters quite like the story of the dishonest steward. <laughs> or there are just as many perspectives and interpretations of this parable as there are readers of it. Or 
the parable of the dishonest steward poses significant theological challenges, not least of which is the apparent injunction to imitate the unrighteous behavior of the main character. So what do we do with this gospel? I'm proposing to you all this morning that we look at it like sly little foxes who shrewdly understand that the economic systems that order our lives today are not in line with the radical message of Jesus. Jesus brought a message that taught us to give freely to those in need, to give the good things which never really belonged to us in the first place. The oil and wheat of the debtors in the story that are owed to the rich man? Who labored for these? Was it the rich man who was out there pressing oil, pressing oil from olives in the field? Was the rich man the one on the threshing floor separating the wheat from the chaff with his bare hands? How much do you owe my manager? My master, the shrewd manager asks. The answer to the rhetorical question for Christians should be nothing. And yet we, when we hear it in church, are scandalized by the idea that they would only pay him half of what is written on their bill. I saw several of you smile when Deacon Gary read that piece. It's true that this parable requires a lot of digging, a lot of heavy lifting. But sometimes when you dig, you find a gem. I'd like to share one of those with you this morning. So you know how in the story, the manager says, I know what I'll do. I'll make everyone's bills lower so that when they come to pay and everything is taken care of, they'll welcome me into their homes. Well, the Greek word that he uses there is oikos. It means probably what you're thinking it means a stable abode of those who have stability and security and comfort. He's going to do this thing because when he gets fired from his job, he's going to be welcomed into safety and security and comfort of his newfound friends. But the gem that we're left with is that at the end, when Jesus answers him, make friends for yourself like that. Because when it's all gone, you'll be welcomed into the eternal tense. 
The Greek word used there is skenas, not oikos, not homes, like it's translated in our English translation. Jesus says, you will be welcomed into the eternal tents, temporary resting places of refugees and wanderers, of nomads like Jesus and his disciples, like Robin Hood. We are right to be confused because our English translation gives them the same name but they're not the same thing at all. The parable continues to perplex us because the ideas being proposed are so foreign to the systems in which we live. Why would anyone want to live in a tent? Well, Jesus tells us that this is actually an eternal blessing because it means that you are not beholden to the worldly systems of dishonest wealth. Helen Montgomery de Bavois says that somewhere along our journey, we stopped living for Christ alone. We stopped believing that Jesus died and was resurrected and that life was made new. Somewhere along the way, it became easy to serve all those pressing demands of other people, of schedules, of money. Somewhere along the way, we stopped hearing God's voice and joined this crazy winner-takes-all mentality. Somewhere along the way, we huddled and hoarded in an effort to save whatever was left. And we forgot about living for something greater. We buried our treasure. The complexities of this parable are not lost on me, but I still believe the message is quite clear. You cannot serve God and wealth. This parable is a lesson to the rich and good news to the poor, but it is not without hope for those who have too much because it gives us a chance to reorder our lives, to be generous with what we do have now, and to expect nothing in return. It's a chance for us to be faithful with what we think belongs to us, to share what we have, and to give of ourselves spiritually and materially, to find ourselves in right relationship with Robin Hood. 
For God's economy is an economy of love, where debts are forgiven. Everyone has enough. And the principal capital is a renewable resource. Amen.